Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 172. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionTanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooleman. Hi, everybody. How are you doing, Fooleman? Not too bad. Yourself? I'm, I'm doing all right. It's a, it's a busy time here, but, um, you know, just busy. <laughs> Actually, I have nothing else to say. It's a busy time here. It's period. a busy time here. And period. It's also a busy time in the NHL. Oh, great it segue. That an app. Oh, God, I'm just the king of transitions, aren't I? Mm. Uh, yeah. The NHL trade deadline happened. Thank you to the people who wanted to know when we were recording about this. That's very flattering to know that people are waiting for us. We wanted to wait until Tuesday to see if anything happened on Monday and then give us a little bit of time to digest. We, yeah, we had the prescience to realize that the NHL might fuck something up, like the Evgeny Dodonov trade. And we're like, you know what? If we go on Monday, our takes potentially dunking on Ottawa for just being a clown show might not be accurate enough. And we can't let you deal with that as listeners. We care about you too much. Yes. You are important to us, and so is our habit of making fun of people. However, there was also a lot of Leafs-related stuff that is um, hopefully not funny. I was going to say not funny, like it's serious, and then I was like, well, the Felino thing turned out funny in hindsight in a terrible way, so yeah, maybe I can't rule it out. And, and also, I mean, this from... The current reporting on the Donov trade, it actually doesn't really seem to be the Senators' fault. It might just be, like, the NHL slash Vegas' fault. Which also, like, how does the NHL not have, like, their shit together on this? This feels like, what what is the central processing data, like, repository people at the NHL doing if they don't have, like, up-to-date information on this stuff? Yeah, this seems highly relevant. And NHL Central Registry has to approve trades. Like, it's literally a big part of It's your literally job. their whole deal. Yeah, like, that's what you're for. So, yeah, the incapacity to do that is a little bit of an issue. Um, I guess we might as well... No. But we'll I, save the Dodonov stuff for the end. Yeah, well, I, I guess I'll just say this before we move on. I guess it's, it might be one of those situations where like, they probably do their job, like, 99% well, and this is the 1% of the time that they fuck up, and we just notice because it's really obvious. Yeah. Right? Maybe and, and, somebody missed the paperwork. Yeah. You know, that happens. We all fuck up from time to time. We do. Mistakes get made. Um... The Leafs did a bunch of stuff, and we're going to talk about it. Yes. Uh, and the first thing we're going to talk about to get it out of the way is a failed signing, so to speak. Uh, Hari Sateri, who is a goalie who was leaving the KHL in the wake of the invasion of Ukraine, uh, signed with the Leafs. However, if you've been playing in the KHL during the year and you come to the NHL, you have to clear entry waivers. The Arizona Coyotes did not want to let him do that. They claimed Sateri, so now he's part of their organization. More's the pity. Um, it would have been nice to add to the goaltending pipeline, because Lord knows we could always use more of them until we find someone who can do the job. Um, he's been a consistently great KHL goalie, but his AHL results were kind of up and down when he was here previously, and his NHL career was nine games, at least until now. So the Leafs plan to start him in the AHL, actually. They weren't even guaranteeing him a walk-on job. So expectations should have been pretty modest. And in Arizona, I assume they will still be modest. Any thoughts? Nope. <laughs> this one is going to be a short segment. The Leafs starting goalie <laughs> for game one of the playoffs was probably going to be Jack Campbell, if Seteri had stayed in the organization. It'll probably be Jack Campbell now. Not for sure, but probably. Right, and I mean, um, that that's... Nerve-wracking in some sense, but, like, would we feel a lot better if it was Sateri? Uh, probably not. No, I doubt it. And, you know, as much as we're all enjoying the Eric Schalgren show, it's been only a few games. So, uh, <laughs> 
Alex Biego was traded to the Nashville Predators for future considerations. Now, kids, in podcasting land, this is what we call development to a climax. You see, I could have led with one of the trades that you care about, but instead to build tension and suspense, I'm talking about a player you probably forgot was in the organization being traded for literally nothing. Um, could you pick Alex Biego out of, out of a police lineup? Not with a gun to my head. Absolutely I, not. I don't know what number he wore on the Leafs. I know he played a non-zero number of games, yeah. but I don't know what the number is other than it isn't zero. It might have been one. He might have gotten into like 10 games, and I just do not remember him. According to HockeyDB, it was two games. Well, okay, that makes me feel a little better because I don't remember either of them. Yeah, and he wears number 33. Oh, well, isn't that nice? That's kind of a goalie number, isn't it? It but, feels that know, way. I'm, I'm all for innovation. I believe you should make up your own mind. Um, anyway, my sole note on this was let's spend 45 minutes on this, and don't worry, that was a joke, because I've already reached the outer limit of my Alex Biega knowledge. Yeah. Best of luck. Travis Dermott to the Canucks for a third. Yeah, so, I mean, the writing was on the wall in this case, and this feels like another one from that, um, from the catalog of deals where Kyle Dubas will just trade a guy if they're just, if they're, if he feels they're not happy here, more or less, or, or you know... Mm this is similar to the Josh Lebo trade. It's like, okay, you know, you're, you're not really going to get your shot here. Let's, let's move you for you get the sake of your career. Right. I don't think it's like amazing value to get a third for Travis Dermott. I don't think it's awful either. Um, but like, I mean, the vast, vast, vast likelihoods are such that the third round pick who that we get is like almost certainly never going to have the career that Travis Dermott has. Yes. Right. And it's worth keeping that in mind. You know, everyone gets excited about draft picks and so do I. They're great. But a third-round pick is probably not going to turn into any kind of meaningful NHL or at all. Yeah, which isn't to say this is a bad trade or a bad idea. I think there's a lot to be said for treating people well, just generally. Mm -hmm. um, I like that Dubas is willing to, you know, give these guys an out rather than continue to try and hoard them or, uh, and whatnot. And it's it helps the Leafs, too, because like at some point, you know, Dermot's the eighth guy when healthy at this point. You're not going to keep him on the roster. He's not going to pass through waivers. Yeah, just trade him. It yeah. just it works for everyone. Like this isn't super noteworthy in either direction. It's not like you know Dubas isn't doing charity work here either. Um, yeah, no, he got an asset for a player he had no real use for. Right. So yeah, um, will this trade look silly in hindsight when Travis Dermott turns into a stud one D? Uh, I doubt it, but maybe. Yeah, I mean, we said the but same... Probably like, not. Yeah, no, <laughs> we didn't think the Mason Marchant trade would make us look silly, and it, it, it sort of has, right? Yeah. Dermot is just, you know, another from the Isle of sheltered third-pairing defenseman. Mm -hmm. Has never really been trusted to go beyond that for ex truly extended periods of time. Has done it in fits and starts, and I bet, like, I think his results in the top four are not great, but also not like, okay, this guy can clearly never play in the top four ever. Yeah, I wouldn't preclude him from ever doing it. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's actually going to happen in Vancouver anytime soon. Uh, yeah, certainly not immediately. No, they still have Quinn Hughes and Oliver ekman Larson on the left side. Those guys are 1-2 on the left probably for a while. Um, they also have Tyler Myers and Luke Shen. Um, Myers, they have a massive financial commitment to, and Luke Shen, they apparently like a lot with Quinn Hughes. <laughs> Luke Shen, they have a massive brain, brain impediment, which is making them attached to him. <laughs> Look, he's a nice guy. He shoots right. Those are very valuable things. And look, he's, like, he's a fine sixth defenseman, but also 
what are you doing? I guess would be my question. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I, I do happen to follow a decent amount of Canucks fans and bloggers because their blogging community is like fairly active and um, has a lot of smart people involved. Mm-hmm. And I definitely foresee a lot of like angsty tweets at 11.30 p.m. when, when the Canucks play. And it's like, why, why is Luke Shen playing above Travis Dermott? Yes. Oh, man, I can see a lot of those going on. Um, you know, I don't blame them for liking a fit with Quinn Hughes. And Quinn Hughes does well with a more defensively oriented partner. Kristana proved that. Um, at the same time, the reason we're kind of making a point of this is that the Canucks were rumored to be very attached to Luke Shen, which is like, okay, but like if someone offers you something for him, I think you should take it. You know, he's 32. He signed at 850K for the next couple of years. I can't believe he's only 32. It feels like he should be about 48. Yeah. But, yeah, anyway. And maybe I'm probably being harsh to, to, to Luke Shen because, I mean, I haven't looked at his stats in, like, forever because why the hell would I? Um, but according to HockeyViz, he is a good defensive defenseman. Yeah. Well, you know what? He's carved out a very solid NHL career. Yeah. Um, and he did well with Tampa on that cup run even though he was used as a third-pair guy. On both cup runs. I didn't realize he was on the team for both of them. Yeah, well, you know, good for him. So, yeah, I mean, he's had a he's had a great run. And so I don't begrudge him anything. I just find myself thinking, Vancouver is probably not in a position where they should be too tied to anyone who isn't a key asset. By the way, I also think they should have traded JT Miller, which I understand yeah. why that was a bit of a tough thing to confront. But his value would never have been higher than it is right now. Mm-hmm. And now they have a dis- decision on an extension that might have some sting in the tail. So anyway. Uh, yeah. With, with Shen, yeah. I, I guess like, or with the Canucks, it's just, it feels like if you're in, if you're in their position, you should just be searching for any sort of upside. And like Luke Shen, you know, is fine for what he is, but there's, it, it seems unlikely he's going to be part of the next great Canucks team. And there is Probably like, not. you know, an epsilon chance that Travis Dermott is in, in, in a meaningful role, right? Yeah. So I, I would get you to see that. I'm just looking at Luke Shen's hockey reference now. He has an outside shot at 1,000 games. That's like, pretty impressive. He's at, he's at 845 this year, so he gets to 850 by the end of this year, uh, a bit above that. He's two seasons away. You know, I think we may have sold Luke Shen a little bit short. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a very, very successful career. Like, it's not what you want out of the fifth overall pick, obviously. But, like, no. you know, there's, like, I mean, there's, there's zero shame in having any sort of NHL career, let alone one where you, you win two cups and play up around 1,000 games. You know, just looking at him, and this is riveting listening, I'm sure, as we discover Luke Shen's career path in real time, <laughs> but I actually had voided out in my mind all of the other teams that he played for between Toronto and Tampa. He, he, he went around. Even though, I mean, Philly for the JV. Yeah, yeah. I knew he was in Philly for a bit, obviously, because the JV yeah, so, trade. So there. But then LA, Arizona, Vancouver for a little bit. I guess they liked him. Anaheim for eight games. And then Tampa. That's a whirlwind tour. Mm. Um, anyway, the big takeaway from the Travis Dermott trade to Vancouver Canucks for a third is, hey, look what a career Luke Shen has had. So that probably tells you how much you should uh, get invested in this. I think it's a third for a guy that we weren't going to use. It makes eminent sense. Do we want to get to the big kahuna? Yeah, let's do it. The Leafs traded two seconds in 2022 and 2023, and a third from 2024 
to the Seattle Kraken for Mark Giordano at 50% retention, as well as Colin Blackwell. Um, my first note was, hell yeah. Um, yeah, I like this trade. It's not a cure-all. No. Um, but... I generally like it too. I guess first order of business that I just want to mention, the Leafs have uh, very few picks this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have a first rounder. They have the first rounder. They have a third rounder, not their own. They have Winnipeg's third rounder. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the one that they, that they got from, uh, from Vancouver, I believe mm-hmm. in yeah. the, in the German trade, right? The, the, the trade was, was Winnipeg's third round pick. And then they have a conditional, uh, or sorry, they have a, they have a seventh, um, which they're going to retain because Brennan Manel has not played 30 games for the Leafs this year, and as I have had like a significant amount of fever dreams. <laughs> and I've just been hallucinating the past seven months, which would not be the worst thing in the world, but I don't think I have. <laughs> Tragically, no. We live in reality for the most part. So, yeah, I, I mean, the Leafs have really gone all in in terms of picks, except they held on to their first, and that was clearly important to Kyle Dubas mm-hmm. um, after the Nick Foligno debacle of last year, which... Uh, to remind us to be humble was also a trade that we were cautiously positive on. Yes. So that's the thing about rentals is that if everything goes to hell in the playoffs, it can be pretty painful in short order. Now that said, I'm not sure Mark Giordano or Colin Blackwell will necessarily stay rentals. Um, Giordano has made it very clear that he wants to play for the Leafs. He's a hometown boy. And so a Spezza-esque contract next season. Maybe a little bit more money, but yeah. But yeah, I mean, we, we have to move off something, don't we? Right? Like, we I mean, do. Like, Mrazek's obviously gone. Uh, whether we, you know, Dubas is saving his first round picks to get rid of that contract. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so, yeah, I mean, it's very possible that would be a squeeze. I was thinking Muzzin. Yeah, well, that, that, but, that he was the person yeah. who I was going to mention next of like, okay, do we, do we move Jake Muzzin? Um, Alexander Kerfoot is, you know, perennially. <laughs> willing to be later not willing but like perennially the guy who's like okay well i guess maybe we move him Um, i feel like it would be kind of funny if alexander kerfoot like was rumored to be traded every single year and just played in toronto for like 15 seasons yeah like he just retires a leaf after being rumored um yeah but anyway mark giordano wanted to come here now he is here yeah sounds like it was a fit um he and tj brody formed a very successful pairing in calgary and for a long time there was a question of like is TJ Brody just propped up by Mark Giordano? Yes, and we are now fairly confident, no, he was not. Yes. Um, he's worthy in his own right. But Giordano at his peak was considered a premier defenseman in the NHL. I mean, he, he won he, the Norris Trophy. And he deserved it. Yeah, at age 35, no less. Um, you know, that's not Nick Lidstrom territory, who won it at 40, but it's pretty good. Um, and he still has some skill. Look, he's slowed down. We're not getting the reigning Norris Trophy winner or a player of that caliber. But we're getting a good defensive defenseman. There is some question as to where he's going to fit. He's a left shot. You might instinctively say, play him with Brody. But then you have to play someone with Riley, and the best option is either someone playing their wrong side or Ilya Libushkin, mm-hmm. who has been, I would say, feisty. But I'm I mean, not sure having him on your top pairing is your first choice. Yeah, he's 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 been fine. I've I've liked him, and I think he's a reasonable yeah. fit with Riley, um, because he is a lot more staid and a lot more. Um, I, one of his, the things that he excels at uh, relatively is uh, defending the rush, and that's something that 
A, Riley sucks at, and B, Riley puts you in the position to do quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think it's it's it's, it's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I'm open to it certainly, mm-hmm. but I do think that that kind of points out your clear weakness in your top four as one RD. But I guess that's true a lot. Of yes. Years. <laughs> um, this also puts the squeeze downward in the lineup in terms of who's going to play is Muzzin coming back soon or is this trade made with the perception that Muzzin's going to be out for a while right and also know. complicating this now is the injury uh, to Andre Kasha mm-hmm. right um so like there there's there's some cap chicanery that has to go around for the Leafs to basically be able to pull everyone together I think from what I've seen, it may, in order to activate Muzzin uh, from LTIR before the playoffs, if the Leafs choose to do that, Lilligren will be um, off the roster, I believe. Uh, Kasha will be on LTIR, and then we carry no forwards bears. Which seems a bit messy. Yes. Um, and then you get to the playoffs and... Then, yeah, then everyone's... Then, yeah, you bring everyone up. Effectively. Yeah, just use your call-ups. Um, so, all things considered, I think Giordano is going to play real minutes. Um, Rasmus Sandin seems like he might well play his offside, but somebody's probably going to have to. Um, and if it's going to be anyone, you'd prefer to be the guy facing weaker competition. Right. And, y- you know, Jake Muzzin has not really preferred to do that throughout his career. Um, when he first came to Toronto, it was sort of a, uh, a point of tension, I guess. Um, with regard to Giordano, if you believe in leadership and wanting to be here and experience and a general work ethic, you, you know, this is a guy who was playing in the KHL in his mid-20s and worked his way back to the NHL and then made himself one of the best defensemen on the planet. Um, that's certainly a hell of an example we said similar-ish things about, like, Joe Thornton, um, Wayne Simmons, all of these other great veterans examples, Jason Spezza, and so, you know, some of them have worked better than others. But if you like to buy those things and the idea that it will improve the moral fiber of the franchise, Geo adds those too. It's not a perfect fit. It doesn't solve everything. But it adds another good defensive defenseman to a team that could stand to have a few more of those. Right, and I guess we, one thing we should make clear is that um, Giordano still is a pretty solid defenseman. Mm-hmm. He's, you, you know, I mentioned Thornton. This is not mm-hmm. Joe Thornton at age 41. Right. You know. Even, you know, as bad as, as Seattle has been, um, per hockey viz, with Giordano on the ice, they were a break-even team, and they were putrid with him off the ice. And, again, Giordano is not playing, you know, sheltered minutes by any stretch of the imagination yeah no he was a big deal defenseman for them and he was their captain as i've mentioned and off yeah often their most played defenseman yeah so you know this is a real addition it's not just a, a vanity ad for a guy who's looking for a cup run um it's a guy looking for a cup run who's still a good player and that's the most important thing you know the price isn't painless but i'm pretty contented with it in terms of picks keeping the first is nice um, Colin Blackwell also being in there is interesting. I guess we can talk about him. Mm-hmm. He's 28 years old. He's flashed a little bit of offense in limited time. 
He was on a 21-goal pace last year and a 17-goal pace this year. Make of that what you will, but he actually has a little bit of scoring to him. He's uh, 5'9", but by all accounts, he plays very hard. And he had a bit of a tough injury history, which he's overcome to make the NHL relatively late. Um, I like the addition. I think it offers some flexibility. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, look, I, I have some opinions on Mark Giordano because I've seen him play you know, this season and over the court, and like, you know, you, you take note of when he's on the ice and of course seen him play over many seasons prior. I, I'm not going to lie to you and pretend I have extreme thoughts on Colin Blackwell. Colin Blackwell sounds like an Elden Ring character. I mean, either that Which... or, or, or he sounds like a guy who did um, business at Western. Oh yeah, no, that's true. And that guy's dad runs a firm. You just know it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that's Blackwell and whatever. Um, Anyway, but notwithstanding this fictional backstory we've created for Colin Blackwell, he seems like a nice little addition to the bottom six. Mm -hmm. This trade is not really about him, but he is going to probably appear in the lineup, and he might improve the fourth line. Right, and I guess or, one, one yeah. thing, you mentioned he's been on 20-goal paces before, and Keith mentioned that as well, actually. Mm -hmm. um, and we've talked before about how the Leafs are like kind of light on shooting talent, Especially once you you look past Austin Matthews, that you know they're incredibly dependent on him mm -hmm. um, for for finishing and just I mean offense generally. And in in some sense, I hate saying that because it's obvious. Like team is dependent on best player who happens to be you know one of the best players in the world, right? Um, but yeah. having some ability to to put the the puck in the net for an offensive fourth line or an offensively toted fourth line, which is what it would appear to be with with Simmons and and Spezza. Uh, if if he plays with them, that that can be useful. I can see some utility in that. He's playing the bumper on PP two. Again, you know, not that PP two is gonna really drive our success in any way, but I can see that being being useful. It's possible he pops up with an important goal or, or something like that. Um, so yeah, I, I I think there there's some things you can talk yourself into uh, on on that on that score. He, he's also um, a UFA after this year. Uh, he's making 725K this year. So very little. No idea what his market will be in the offseason. He's the type of player who will basically just chase and should basically just chase money slash playing time. Yeah, and I'm not sure the Leafs will be in a position to give it to him. So it's right. possible that in a few years you look back and forget that Colin Blackwell was here. Mm -hmm. um, but you never know. Uh, so I do like him. Uh, as a throw-in in the deal, he adds a little bit of forward depth. I'm not sure he's really a great candidate to play second-line left wing. And, you know, a lot of people want someone who's going to help the Tavares-Nylander combination uh, recover its footing a little bit. I don't know if Blackwell is that. He might get the chance to try we're, for one of alternatives. Yeah, I guess we'll see, because right now we're, we're sticking with Kerfoot there. Um, mm -hmm. Katya had an interesting point uh, when we were just kind of chatting about the kind of line combinations and pairings. This goes back to Giordano, but if you go Giordano Libushkin or Giordano Brody, you try and make it such that that pairing plays a lot with Tavares, mm. because that's our like Giordano and either one of those two guys is probably the least best defensive grouping, mm -hmm. and you you want them to counteract the the defensive weakness of the Tavares Nylander duo. Exactly, um, which is what the that line has really struggled with this season. Um, 
all things considered, I like this trade. And then I have to check myself, as I mentioned, by saying, okay, you like the Felino trade. So is there Felino potential? I'll, I'll be more charitable. We thought, there, we thought that the Felino trade made some sense. Yeah. I will say I always would have preferred Taylor Hall. Yes. However, whatever. Um, and Felino, in fairness, got injured pretty early and was never playing at 100%. Yeah, and I, I, still, I still feel like the idea of getting a, like a very good defensive player as a counterbalance to, um, you know, a strong offensive team that was only average defensively made some sense. It didn't work out, uh, and I, I think people raised reasonable criticisms of that deal, um, even, you know, despite the, the injury. The, the price paid was clearly high, and we said that at the time, too. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it was, like, pants-on-head stupid. You could at least see what they were aiming at. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wrote, is there fully no potential to just to this trade where we're looking back, you know, in three months and saying, geez, I wish we had those second-round picks. Yes, but at least it's not a first. Yeah, I mean, I think I think this has no more Felino potential than any average rental. And what made the Felino trade hurt quite a bit more was the fact that we gave up a first. And I know, okay, there's not a huge difference between a first and a second that, you know, between 25 and 45 or 25 and 50 or whatever. But it, there is still a difference. Mm-hmm. It, it does still matter. Um, and definitely a part of it is also like the cachet of a first-round pick. Absolutely. Like, with a first-round pick leading up to the draft, you get to talk about guys you're interested in. You get to think about guys who might fall. It's like, oh, this this guy at number eight couldn't do a pull-up? Yes, thank God. I hope he falls to us. There's a a big faller, and I I get all excited. Jacob Chikorum was one way back. Mm. Um, And he fell, but he didn't fall all the way into our laps. Um, Anyway, so all things considered, good deal. Uh, It is interesting that Dubas ended up settling for a pair of rentals when he made it pretty clear that he would have preferred some term, or at least that seemed to be the chatter. Um, I think he would have preferred a one plus one or something like that if he could have done it, but didn't work out that way. And Giordano was an interesting fit in terms of he wanted to be here. The team wanted him here. Everything seemed to line up. Um, what this really means to us is how are the Leafs keeping up in the Atlantic? How do they compare to those other teams one of whom they probably have to play in the first round, and all of whom they're competing with for seeding. So I did a quick little survey here of the other three big Atlantic teams and what they did. So Tampa Bay traded Taylor Radish, Boris Kuchuk, a 2023 first and a 2024 first for Chicago's Brandon Hagel. And also they got back two-fourths. Um, both the first, by the way, are top 10 protected. That protection probably won't kick in, but yeah, they... smart move by Julian Brisebois. <laughs> well, I mean, top, your... top 10 protecting it this year is like, what, are they, are they playing the rest of their games in Tampa Bay underwater? <laughs> Pretty much. That's what it would take. Um, oh, no, the, the first, though, are 2023 and 2020. Oh, of course, of so course, of course. next year. Yes, that, okay, that, um, that makes a lot more sense. I mean, still, though, they would have to play underwater likely yeah, <laughs> yeah. but, but, it, but, but it's more yeah. plausible because it's like okay you have an injury year from hell i mean tampa doesn't need to any reminders of that right 2016 mm. 17 they just got so badly injured that, that, that they missed the playoffs so 
Um, I, sorry, uh, before we talk about this trade more thoroughly, to your point on we're going to have to face one of these teams in the playoffs, just to put some numbers on it, Hockey Viz has um, the Leafs facing Tampa at 29%, and the Leafs facing Boston and Florida at 22% each. And then the, the remainder is, I imagine, relatively unlikely, um, because the, the next highest is like Washington at 12%, which is like we go on a crazy run and win the division. And then the next highest after that is Carolina at 7%, which is we go on a crazy lo- um, you know, run of losses and we fall to the wild card. Yes. It's worth noting Micah still has a very high opinion of Toronto yeah. in terms of team quality. So he thinks that the chances of us falling to the wild card are pretty low. In my heart, they feel high. but Right, because I mean, you look at the standings and it doesn't, certainly doesn't look unassailable between us and Boston. No, uh, especially with how the goaltending has been going lately. Right. For, for what it's worth, we're actually we're, right? I mean, we're tied with Boston. We have one game. Yeah, in hand. we have one game in hand. That's it. Um, and Boston has been on their usual late season tear. Of course, they have. So much to be decided in the seating. With regard to Tampa Bay, that's a lot to give up for sure. But it's maybe not as big as it seems at first glance. Mm-hmm. Um. Tampa Bay will probably pick late both those years, despite the condition that's providing them security. Uh, Radish and Kachuk are likely just depth guys. They're 24 and 23, so never say never, but I don't think that they're huge losses. Tampa Tampa also just grows these guys on trees, don't they? Yeah, they have like a little grove out back. They grow oranges and fringe lineup players. Is Brandon Hagel really all that, is the question. And I kind of mentioned this on Twitter, and I got some interesting feedback. I said he looks to me like a passable, like decent, player on a shooting heater. Uh-huh. You know, and that's fine for a third liner. And again, Tampa Bay has a great record of building a third line um, with aggressive moves. You know, Gord, Coleman, Gaudreau is etched in legend is one of the most famous third lines ever to play. Um, with regard to Hagel, he can certainly do that. But I'm not sure he's quite as good as his production looks right this second. Uh-huh. But the people who have seen him speak very highly of him. And the Leafs were in discussions about him. Which actually led to some angry words from Kyle Dubas. Because the Leafs trade proposals and Chicago's were leaked. And Dubas said straight up he didn't like that that made it to the press. Uh-huh. Anyway. Um, yeah, he is on a crazy yeah. shooting heater right now. Per hockey viz, basically doubling his expected goals. That's what gets me is like, when I looked, he was shooting 23% on a personal basis. It's like, well, that's not real. No one can do that. Um, The highest I've ever seen for an extended period was Alex Tange. And he just, you know, never shot. So, um, he he does have good, like reasonably good shot volume, it appears. And that, that, that's, that seems useful. And he'll be, he'll be playing with good players in Tampa. Like, I, I don't think it's bad. Um, it's not like he'll he'll be a useful player. But yeah, and... I mean, like when, when I say reasonable shot volumes, I'm talking about like the same expected goals, individual expected goals as Alex Kerfoot, who is no no one's idea of a gunner. No, right. But, so, uh, but like it's yeah. just like he he he's involved a little bit offensively. Yeah, exactly. And again, I'm and... not not gonna front like I watch a shit ton of Chicago. <laughs> yeah, there's no reason to do so, really. But yeah, you look at this and you think, okay. It's the type of trade that makes a ton of sense for a team in Tampa Bay's position. Um, he's 23. He has two more years after this one at 1.5 million. 
they gave up depth guys and futures. Tampa Bay is absolutely living in the now. They are going for dynasty status this year. And they've got a couple more seasons where they can keep taking kicks at the can um, before age starts to catch up to some combination of Kucherov, Stamkos, Hedman, Vasilevsky, whoever. So absolutely, they should be making moves like this. Uh-huh. Whether this was the best use of those assets, I don't know. But I can see the case. I, in terms of the forwards who moved, there didn't appear to be that many crazy difference makers, right? No, I mean Claude Giroux. Claude Giroux, right? We'll but, get to. But, but. And that was a, reportedly like a... He only wanted to go to Florida. Maybe he want, he would have gone for Tampa too, but you know there, there were other complications there, I imagine. Yeah. Tampa, Tampa Bay has like one cent of cap space. Yeah, so. yeah, the cap, that was what I think, like the cap for Giroux is, is trickier even with retention. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like it makes a certain amount of sense. Um, I don't think it makes Tampa way more scary, but they were already very scary to me. So. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's it's like, I don't know. They, they, they have like a massive armored vehicle and like they have some spikes on the front that got slightly spike here. It's like, okay, cool. I mean, I was... <laughs> didn't need to do that, but I guess it helps. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, Hagel may show up in the first round against us, and Pummel, our beloved third line or something like that. So Right. And keep I mean an eye out. I assume he's gonna also play on their on their power play, probably their second unit. And, you know, I'm I'm sure I'm sure he'll get some back breaking goal that goes in off of, you know, Nabushkin's asshole. <laughs> it is known. Uh the Bolts also flipped Matthew Joseph and a fourth to Ottawa for Nick Paul. Not yeah, so a major this, change. This one was but... a little bit weird. I don't think Nick Paul was that good. No. Joseph isn't that great either. No. But he's a shooter, and Nick Paul is more of a defensive forward. Yeah. Um, they apparently were a little leery of Joseph's arbitration award that he might be in line for this offseason. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was going to be that big. But, um, you know, whatever. Um, so they've kind of reoriented their third line. Uh, sorry, their fourth line. Yeah, like, Joseph has eight goals this year. What was the Arb Award really going to be? I guess, you know, when you're in Tampa's position, every cent counts. But I'm a little surprised. I think it's more just they wanted a slow-the-game-down kind of player instead of a gunner. So fine. Um, they also got Riley Nash for future considerations. So look for him to score three goals in round one against the Leafs. Um, yeah, that's all Tampa really did. Florida did a bunch. They traded a top 10 protected 2022 first. Yeah, that one is this year. And again, I don't think Florida's in exactly a ton of danger. Um, so no, sorry. It's 2023. I just have that down in my notes wrong. Mm -hmm. So you see teams are smart. They use protections in a way that makes sense. My bad. Uh, 2023 first. A fourth and a B prospect named Ty Smilanek for Ben Chirot, uh at 50% retention. That's a lot. For, for Yeah, it's a lot for Ben Chirot. Yeah. Beat starts up. <laughs> All right. Um, Chirot had success against Austin Matthews last year in terms of Matthews not scoring against him while he was on the ice. And I think that that is a big factor in his trade value. If you're in the Atlantic Division and you're looking around and saying, hey, I might run into that Austin Matthews. I could use someone who could shut him down. I get the logic there. I don't know if Sherratt was the prime mover in that activity. But, you know, whatever, I guess. 
Um, he's become sort of a meme, and I always worry that with meme defensemen, people get carried away. Mm-hmm. And they start being like, oh my god, this guy is like a ninth defenseman. He's, you know, he's just terrible. This is not like Rasmus Ristolainen we're talking about here. This is a passable defensive defenseman who takes too many penalties, sure, but that might wear better in the playoffs. Um, and I think that Florida will probably be able to use him in a way where he doesn't look bad and maybe even looks useful. Right, like it's a lot in an asset sense for um for Sherrod. But I don't think I don't I don't know, it doesn't make probably doesn't make Florida significantly worse, right? No, I think it makes them probably a little bit better. Um So as it relates to you know facing them in the playoffs or anything, it's not like, "Oh, okay, good, they got Ben Sherrod and he's he's awful." It's like, "No, I mean they, they probably overpaid for a roughly average defenseman. Yeah. The real question is, what, you know, was this the best use of assets? Right. And that's, and, and you know, yeah. Oh, no. That, well, and that's something that matters more for, like, down the road. Mm-hmm. Like, all of the things that they spent are futures. Um, and that's true of the next deal, too, you know, which will be a concern for the future. But they've quite rightly said, we have a top five team now. We should go for it. So, Yeah. Um, this wouldn't be my approved manner of going for it. You know, Sherratt is big, not that great. And, and again, the penalties thing, but uh, I get why they did it. Um, we talked about, um, you know, when we, when we profiled Florida, I guess it would have been a month or two ago, we said that, you know, they have a big upgrade me sign on their second pair. It was like by far, you know, the biggest, the part of the roster where you look at it and you're like, that's where they can really make an improvement and pick some low-hanging fruit and take an already very good team and make it even better. Mm-hmm. And it seems very clear that this is what they're trying to do here. And in their eyes, they have probably done it. Um, and, you know, off the top of my head, I don't think that many much better defensemen than Sherratt moved. I mean, Giordano, I think, is better than Sherratt, but there's no trade clauses associated with that. And, and, and you know, if, if Chikorin moved elsewhere... And, and Florida didn't make a, a big play for him, I'd say, okay, maybe they should have gone for that. But, like, this is... The the, the point is, you know, I, I think this was something they were always going to upgrade, and I think they got a reasonable-ish player for that position. And it's not like they were bad there anyways. They had, what, like, Radko Gudis and Gustav Forsling? Yep. So, so I, th- yeah. I think Sherratt's probably an upgrade on, on those guys. Um, Sherratt is at least, you know, a little more subtle about braining people than Gudis, which is useful in the playoffs. Yeah, Gudis is like eh, a 25% chance to just absolutely decapitate somebody um, at any given moment. So, yeah, like, everyone has dunked on Florida for this, or at least they did for a little bit before the next trade happened. Um, And it's like, yeah, that's probably too much, but I kind of get it. Mm -hmm. And at least... It's the sort of trade you make in their possession. Yeah, and they're, they're going to play Sherratt with Gudis, presumably, right? Because Gudis, is, I know, is a right shot, and Sherratt's a left shot. Yeah, say what you will, that will not be a fun pairing to play against. No, that's going to be annoying, and they're, they're going to take, like, 75 penalties per shift, and only 0.01 of them will be called. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. If you believe in playoff hockey, and the idea that it is more physical, more gets allowed, all that stuff, Sherratt 
makes a bit more sense. So, again, it's more than I would have wanted to pay. It wouldn't have been my first choice, but I get it. Uh, the Panthers made another big move, mm. which was to trade a 2024 first, which is top 10 protected, a 2023 third and prospect Owen Tippett, who used to be well thought of, um, for forward Claude Giroux. Um, Claude Giroux is, I'm sure, well known to everyone on this podcast. I should mention Giroux was 50% retained. Um, he's still, I would say, a fringe star player. Yeah, he's still really fucking good. Yeah. Um, good shooter, good offensive play driver, still has defensive utility, um, good on the power play. He is a really, really, really useful player. Uh, still really good at face-off, 60%. Like, he's just, he's very, very good, and he makes Florida better. Mm-hmm. Like, by a lot. I think Florida has an argument that they are more clearly the best team in the Atlantic now, um, with Giroux added. And this is, you know, kind of, we talked about this with the Leafs um, in years prior, the Tavares acquisition was, was the Leafs leaning into all offense. The Morgan Riley extension is the Leafs leaning into not all offense per se, but like, you know, offense is our superpower, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and moving away from the idea of like, oh, we have to be good at offense and good at defense as opposed to being, let's be fucking awesome at offense and okay at defense. Florida's mm-hmm. going for the same thing. Yeah. Florida was already the most dangerous team in the league in terms of scoring at even strength. They were weirdly kind of middling on the power play. Giroux enhances that insane even strength power, and he also probably will help them with the extra man. Um, yeah, this is very much in the rich get richer territory, but when you're a good team and you're willing to spend assets, this is the kind of thing you do. Um, if Florida flames out in the first round, this will all be kind of painful, but they're extremely good this year. They should be good next year, um, even if Giroud leaves. And so this is absolutely the kind of move that a contender should make. Yeah, pretty much, and it makes them a lot more scary. Yeah. I th- like. I don't think any team added a player who's as impactful as Claude Giroud. Mm-hmm. This is it. Um, they did a couple of other very minor things. They got Robert Hag for a sixth. Neat. And they unloaded Frank Vitrano for a fourth. Probably as a prelude to the other deals. Uh, also neat. What did Boston do? They did very Boston things. They traded John Moore, Erho Vakaninen, a 2022 first, a 2023 second, 2024 second, for Hampus Lindholm at 50% retention, and a guy named Cody Curran, who is AHL contract ballast. He's not a prospect. He's 32. Lindholm was expiring, but the Bruins immediately extended him at eight years uh, and $6.5 million per. His isolated numbers, this is Lindholm we're talking about, are still good on hockey viz, but he's having a bit of a down year, so Boston is betting he will revert to form and then hopefully stay there for a while. It's an interesting choice, isn't it? It is. I mean, this is the reverse of the Giroux thing, uh, in mm-hmm. the sense that, okay, Florida's gone all in on offense, Boston has gone all in on defense. Um, yeah. I saw some people say, like, you know, Lindholm, like, this is a weird trade for Boston, they don't really need Lindholm. Um precisely because their even-strength defense is the best in the league. And Lindholm has not been good this year, I think most would agree, and has probably fallen off since his 
fancy stats peak, um, which occurred, you know, in, in the mid 2010s, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, that said, his, uh, you know, he's st- his isolated impact by hockey base is still solid. Um, he can clearly <clears throat> still play reasonably well, uh, unless you believe he's totally fallen off a cliff this year. Mm-hmm. And despite the contract being rich, I'm not, like, thrilled that Boston has gotten him. And, I, look, no. I, I could be anchored to my 2016 impression of Hampus Lindholm. He was, at one point, considered a top 10 defenseman in the world by fancy stat fans. And, you know, I got it. And I get why they would try and add him at age 28. Um, the deal stretches into some danger territory. Yeah, the, the, if you, the contract yeah. is like. I mean, it's a little scary from if you're a Bruins fan perspective, from a Bruins fan perspective. But like, I mean, fuck them. Yeah, um, and also everyone they get ages. In, in yeah, like anyway, I, it's so also like who who gives a fuck? Like at some point, Patrice Bergeron's going to show his age. So you you like yeah, you pay the piper later. Yeah, you know the, like. Yeah, I, just I, keep taking kicks at the can as long as Bergeron and Marchand are this good. Right, like you you you've struck. Absolute gold with Bergeron having like ninety nine percent expected goals at age four hundred and five. Like just, just keep as long as that's the case. Yeah, just keep pushing it all in. Like you cannot guarantee that this will ever happen. Like there, there is a good chance that Boston doesn't get a player as good as Patrice Bergeron for the next twenty years. Absolutely, right. Like that's like, how good Patrice Bergeron is. So yeah, fuck it. Like this, this is as far as I'm concerned. Like the same thing that Pittsburgh should be doing with Sidney Crosby every year. Like you, you, mm. you were not guaranteed of ever getting a player as good as Sidney Crosby again. Yeah. And Bergeron is very close. Like, this is absolutely a strike while the iron is hot situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do get it. I still am a little surprised they didn't upgrade at second line center. Maybe after Hurdle extended, they, mm-hmm. he was their target. But um, that's Thomas Hurdle in San Jose, for the record. Uh, was sort of rumored to be uh, a trade candidate, but wound up signing an extension. Um, what what is so, San Jose doing precisely? Is re- really unclear to me. San Jose is actually the end state of what we've talked about in terms of going all in again and again and again. And there can come a point where you're paying literally tens of millions of dollars to players who are all well into their thirties. I don't know if there's a way out. They're just going to be bouncing from bad to mediocre forever. Um, however, that's another pod. Um, as for Boston, look, this makes them better. Mm-hmm. Y- you know, I, again, when we raise reservations or, or questions or whatever about Lindholm, we're talking in the context of what they might have done instead. But he was once a very, very good player, and he makes them better now. Right, and he, so. I mean, he's also playing with some, like, sorry-ass players in Anaheim. Yeah, like, who's carrying you in Anaheim if you're Hampus Lindholm? It's All not right. like there's anyone else. And in Boston, like, I don't know if he's going to play with Charlie McAvoy, but if he does, like, that's a fucking scary pairing. Yeah. I, I, I don't feel great if that's over the boards every time Austin Matthews goes on the ice. Yeah, like, I don't know, man. The more I look at this, the more upset I get, actually. Mm. I'm not happy about this. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they've upgraded their strength, which is fine. Um, the Bruins also traded Zach Sinishin and a fifth for Joshua Brown and a conditional seventh. Sinishin is probably a bust. He's one of those players Boston took after the famous, oh shit, Boston could get uh, Barzal, Connor, and Shillington here in 2015. 
Instead, they took three other guys, including Zach Sanishin. He's 24 at this point and has 14 NHL games to his name. However, it's not like Ottawa has a ton of people to play ahead of him, so maybe he'll get games now. Also, the condition on the seventh round pick is that it turns into a sixth if Sanishin plays five games for Ottawa this year. If which it, seems possible. Yeah, but I mean, it feels like if you're Ottawa, it's like, I mean, are you really losing out by not playing this 24-year-old in five games? Yeah, probably not. Like, just, really uh, not that it makes a huge difference, but like, if you cared enough to negotiate that in, just do yourself a favor and keep it. Yeah, might as well. Um, Josh Brown, who came to Boston... Looks like a 7th defenseman and is 28, so probably don't expect a ton there. Surveying the Atlantic, as I think I've hinted, I think Florida improved the most because of Giroux. That's huge. Uh, the Leafs didn't necessarily fall behind, per se, but I don't think they really changed their place in the pecking order. They might have closed the gap with Tampa Bay a little bit, depending on your opinions of Giordano and Hagel, respectively. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be a dogfight. Any other thoughts on the Atlantic before we move to Vegas Adventures? Um, yeah, not not really. I mean, I th- I think it's it's as you said. Like it's it's there's I saw this tweet and it's it's slightly exaggerated, but there's like there were six teams buying in the trade deadline this year, and four of them were in the Atlantic. Yeah, is sort of how it feels, isn't it? Right. And it's like okay. I mean, look, the the Leafs don't get any sympathy at this point because we had two easy playoff opponents. Or yeah. I should say easier playoff opponents. Um, and we, you know, spectacularly fucked up each time. So, mm-hmm. like, at this point, you can't say, oh, if we had a better bracket. It's like, well, no, we had a better bracket and we tripped over ourselves as we always do. But, you know, that doesn't make it any better that we do have a pretty hard bracket right now. Yeah, like, it's very possible Toronto draws, I don't know, Florida in the first round, plays them really well, and loses mm-hmm. in seven. Yep. With all sorts of consequences. So... Anyway, on a lighter note, let's talk about that weird mess with the Vegas Golden Knights trade. Yeah. Um, The Vegas Golden Knights have always sort of operated as if the salary cap is more of a suggestion than a real rule. Um, However, they now have about a billion people on LTIR, and they needed to do some cap shenanigans in order to preserve their position. They're also struggling in the standings, which is less common for them. Um... They were going to unload Evgeny Dodonov and a conditional second for John Moore, who you may have remembered from the previous segment. He went from Boston to Anaheim, and then he supposedly was going to go from Anaheim to Vegas. Um, he's buried in the AHL. The Ducks were also going to send Ryan Kessler, who was permanently LTIR'd and is never going to play in the NHL again. Um, this would have helped Vegas accommodate their cap squeeze as their injury brigade returns to play. But a strange thing happened on the way to the NHL Central Registry, as we were talking about. Um, The Donoff was traded from Ottawa this year, or last summer. It was a bit of a weird trade even at the time. We were like, hey, do they not know that they will have to pay this guy? But they did it. So, okay. Um, Here's the thing. He had a no-trade clause with a list of teams that he would not be traded to. Anaheim was on it. Dodonov is insistent that he filed this list properly so that it remained valid. Um, However, Vegas says Ottawa didn't tell us about this no-trade clause. It's not a very convincing excuse. Uh, You can at least find on Cap Friendly that he had one, 
and presumably you would then inquire as to which teams were on it. There is now some dispute as to whether that no-trade clause is in effect. And if it is, the Donoff can veto his trade to Anaheim and pull the wheels off the whole thing. And then the Vegas Golden Knights have to scramble for cap space somewhere else. What a very NHL thing to have happen. <laughs> yeah, it, it it feels, I don't know, Like, I, look, these data screw-ups happen all mm-hmm. the time in every business, right? Um, and often in situations that are more severe than this. Like, I, I remember, and this is still in sports, but like a few years ago in soccer, a player was supposed to transfer from one mega club to another mega club. These are two of like the three richest clubs in the, in the world, Manchester United and Real Madrid. And mm-hmm. they couldn't do it because the paperwork wasn't faxed on time. Mm. Right? So this, you know, in the, in the, missing this information, this shit happens, but it, it does feel very Bush League. It does. And it, you know, it feels like it reflects on Vegas as much as anything. Like, yes, you had to know it was there. Did you ask? And Vegas really needs to be on the ball here because they've been getting real cute with the salary cap for a while now. Mm-hmm. Like they acquired Jack Eichel and just said, fuck money. We do whatever we want. And that's fine. But you'd better be smart about it. Um, yeah. So this looks kind of sloppy. And also, I mean, if from Vegas's perspective, like surely they knew that there was, that this guy had a no trade list. It's just that like, you know, the, he, he, he couldn't, um, on the trade call from Ottawa to, to Vegas, that was a team that Dodonov could not block, right? Mm-hmm. So then did Vegas, like, kind of assume out of convenience that, like, oh, maybe he didn't file it on time, right? And we're just, like, not going to bring this up. It's like, you know, when you, play, when you do something kind of fast and loose and you're just like, don't bring it up just because you don't, like, there's a chance that no one notices and you just want to see if you can get away with it. <laughs> it's they, very possible that's what they tried to they're do. They're just like, okay, because... like, let's just, you know it's like, I'm sorry, officer. I didn't know I couldn't do that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and this is Vegas's position is that Ottawa somehow implied to them that the trade protection was not filed properly or on time. But apparently as per Elliot Friedman, there is correspondence proving that it was filed correctly and on time. Right. And like any competent agent, I mean, I don't even think you have to be a competent agent. Presumably this is filed via like email or something and you just literally look in your scent and say yes this was sent at this time yeah and like people miss deadlines but also june 30th is the end of the league year so like virtually all of these come up at this time of year right and like most agents represent more than one player yeah this is why you have people in your office anyway so it looks like vegas just straight up pooched this um friedman said we will see how this is adjudicated um, I kind of don't see how this trade can be allowed, but, uh, I guess we'll see what happens and what they'll do. Um, the Donoff can still be traded for what it's worth. They can still find different ways to unload him to an unplayoff team after the trade deadline. So this doesn't preclude Vegas getting out of their little trap that they've put it themselves in, but it is a weird mess. Yep. Pretty much. Know, Vegas might miss the playoffs. Yeah, that's not a uh, a foregone possibility. And, you know, I know they've been absolutely wrecked by injury. But, you know, this is the Pacific Division. 
and you should be hoping to do better than this. And but they're by hockey viz, Vegas is you know better, more likely to miss the playoffs and make it forty four point six percent. They're three points back of Edmonton with two games in hand, and now they don't have to pass Edmonton to make the playoffs. But isn't that just sort of a sign of where things are at? Mm. Like looking up at the Oilers from that distance, that's not a good sign. No, it so, is not. All things considered, um, I think it's fair to say that the Vegas Golden Knights should get their shit together. <laughs> at least from an organizational perspective, if not for the injury thing, which is only sort of their fault. Although, again, they've used LTIR a hell of a lot. Maybe Jack Eichel's just kind of cursed. I, you know, I think that there's a lot of evidence that he broke a mirror in a pyramid or somehow incurred the wrath of the gods because everywhere he goes just turns to shit. Mm. You say, well, he's only really been two places. Yeah, but they both went to shit, so mm, spot the trend. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, that's basically all we had to um, discuss. Do we have any bad takes we wanted to talk about this week? The bad takes was Vegas botching that trade. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> All right, cool. So um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks for bearing with us uh, this week. It's a little bit later um, than, than usual. But, yeah, I mean, you know, we, we appreciate, you know, it's probably a good time to say it. We, we, it's really crazy to us that people listen to this podcast. Um, it, it's, it never ceases to be amazing. Um, so, yeah, we, we have a really awesome fan base, um, if we want to call it that. And it, it's, we're very appreciative of that fact. So thank you very much for listening. Yeah, if you tune into this and you've made it this far, we love you, we care about you, and we want you to be happy. For real, this is awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks so much. Uh, you can catch all of mine and Fuleman's work at pensiontanpuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RV and AT Fuleman. We'll see you next week. <laughs>